Hello, hello, and welcome to another podcast episode of Overpowering Emotions, where I talk all things big emotions, emotion regulation, anxiety. I'm actually getting into our trauma focus series because I hear a lot of yeah, buts when I'm teaching about anxiety, when I'm working with families around anxiety, and when there's trauma involved. As with anything else, we need to make sure we have an understanding. And today's episode is really laying some of the foundations of trauma. I was going to make this in like months long series, but I've decided that I'm actually going to do my anxiety compass that's trauma informed. So there will be a whole module in that compass around the trauma piece where I will deep dive into it, but it's important to still talk about it. And so I will be talking about it. And today, like I said, is the foundation. So talking about what trauma is, when we look at the diagnostic criteria, trauma happens when someone's been exposed to some situation that either threatened death or serious injury. Um, it could be some sort of physical violence, right? And it's whether they directly experienced it or saw it happening to someone else. It can be about hearing it too, about someone that they love as well. Really, it's anything that's overwhelmed our capacity to cope. And we think that there's a life-threatening sort of situation happening there. I would say pretty much all of us have experienced some trauma in our life. But most of us are able to recover without any long-term impairments. So even though we've experienced trauma, it doesn't mean we're traumatized and we're suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. We all react differently, right? And so while we might all experience the exact same event, there's so many variables that influence how, we, how we're affected emotionally. So one question I often get is knowing the difference between anxiety versus a traumatic reaction. Everyone's different. And both can look so different too across people, but there's a couple of things that we can think about when we're understanding the difference. First of, first of course, is, is there a traumatic event? Was there a traumatic event in this person's life, right? Anxiety is going to come up if there's big transitions in a person's life. Um, maybe something really scary happened, but it's not necessarily a traumatic event, right? The latter of which like a trauma experience is more life-threatening. So like seeing someone killed, having a really bad car accident, having to go to the hospital, being violently beaten up, right? Or being sexually assaulted or something like that. For kids though, there can be some really scary situations that feel life-threatening. So it could be exposure to domestic violence, being separated from your family. My daughter actually had someone in her hotel room. So I wasn't there. She was staying with another relative and, you know, it's a team event and all the kids are running around and she went back to her hotel room by herself and a woman followed her and grabbed something and, and, you know, stopped the door from closing and walked in and she wasn't in the right frame of mind. She was high and she went right into the room and like just cornered my daughter and was asking for clothes and I need to use the phone and start going through her stuff and she just wouldn't leave. And so my daughter tried to get out, but the woman wouldn't leave and kind of had cornered her in. So that was so scary. So that could be a life-threatening traumatic event. I mean, fortunately, my daughter, we were able to process through everything. So it's not, you know, something that she's recurring over and over. It was a one-time scary event, but even, you know, kiddos with severe neglect or just chronic emotional and verbal abuse, it really 
does a really harsh number on these kiddos if they're hearing that harsh criticism all the time. And, you know, I'm going to be talking about whether or not they're present and aware or if they're dissociating, right? A lot of the trauma that comes into the counseling room, it's really interpersonal trauma. That's what I'm seeing. Things are happening in the important relationships that we have in our life. So like I said, not everyone's traumatized when we experience a traumatic event. event. Most people do recover right? Like I already said, anxious people are certainly more predisposed to having a traumatic reaction and having the recurring difficulties that come with trauma. Um, and anxiety can trigger a, a tra traumatic event as well, right? So if, and I've had a lot of my teenage girls and young women, for example, who've had a public panic attack and they feel like they're going to die and everyone is watching, right? And so if they're scared of future panic attacks, that can trigger a panic disorder too, right? So we see the sort of vicious cycle. Now, one thing to think about with anxiety and trauma is that they can reinforce each other, right? So we are more likely to experience a traumatic response when we're anxious, but if we have both, they're going to reinforce each other. I've actually not met a person with traumatic reactions who doesn't also have anxiety. Maybe they're out there, but I find the ones who do respond with a traumatic reaction already had some underlying anxiety. So just in my experience, right? I haven't seen it. So we do need to consider both in our work. That anxiety is part of all of this too, because they really go hand in hand. So, you know, not everyone I see though with anxiety has also experienced traumatic reactions. So we do need to differentiate those, but if there's trauma, I suspect we're working with anxiety as well. Now, when we look at how trauma manifests, you know, there's the classic symptoms like the intrusive thoughts that just come, they just seem to come out of nowhere. There's nightmares. Maybe there's flashbacks about the traumatic event. They're on hyper arousal, right? On guard all the time, just even just being really jumpy. They're just so hyper alert. Um, they can have huge, unpredictable mood swings, just a negative outlook, hopelessness, inattentiveness, impulsiveness. So they can look like they've got ADHD, the sleep problems with all of those challenges come behaviors, avoidant behaviors, withdrawal behaviors, and that avoidance can be really subtle. I see avoidance happen a lot with kiddos who will say things like, I hate math because it's boring. It's not traumatic, but it's just a subtle example. They don't like it, right? And so they might go into intentional decision-making to stay away. So if something traumatic had happened when you were walking alone at night, for example, maybe you just never walk alone at night anymore, or you avoid anything that will remind you of that event. I know my mom, she had a really bad car accident when I was a kid, and she avoided left-hand turns for a very long time right? We might try to avoid thinking of what happened, though we know that's totally impossible, right? I've talked about the ironic processing in the brain. Don't think of a bunny rabbit. Whatever you do, don't think of a bunny rabbit. Our brain is going to go right there, right? But some people will go to great lengths. They'll do anything to avoid remembering. And so they might turn to substances, right? Something that will help them keep their mind off of everything. Um, many feel lots and lots of guilt, right? Or more likely probably shame. That kind of goes hand in hand with trauma about what happened. Um, sadness, even grief, right? And so maybe we might want to do whatever we can to avoid those feelings. And with adults, well, with my teens and adults, I see more substance use and drinking, right? Now, one thing I really want to focus on is that trauma can't 
affect, like I said, how we're presenting behaviorally. When we've had a traumatized kiddo or anyone for that matter, they respond in less than ideal ways, right? It could be irritability, irritability, it could be snarkiness, sassiness, it can be aggression as well. And I've worked with kiddos who do, that's how they, they're just triggered and they react aggressively. That's their first response. And you could see like, oh my gosh, I didn't mean to respond that way, but it's just their first go-to. They're trying to protect themselves. They're in hyper arousal. And so everything's sort of a threat. So we see emotional and behavioral outbursts to even the smallest provocation. These kiddos really feel helpless, right? And so we do what we do to get the big and scary fight out so we can protect ourselves for whatever's happening in the situation. The brain's not going to wait around to figure out what's going on. It's just going to react so that I can make sure I protect myself. And it's going to be a big reaction. Um, I will be talking more about shame because that's really important. But for now, it's, you know, just knowing that they feel a lot of shame and they beat themselves up afterward. So we don't need to add any more onto them, right? If they do hit us or I was working with a kiddo once and I just leaned in a little bit too far. I was doing an assessment with him and I just wanted to look over and see his work and he punched me in the face. And I could just see the immediate fear first and, and hit kind of simultaneously and then shock, like, oh my gosh, what did I do? And then anger. And someone unfortunately just happened to be walking by and I was at a children's hospital setting. Um, someone just happened to be walking by and called security. Right. And so now, and that's would have been the last thing I would have wanted to happen. Cause I know exactly what's going on for this kiddo. He's had a lot of trauma in his life. And so now he's really getting defensive and the behaviors just spiral, right? And so we don't need to add any more on. They're already feeling bad, right? They might not look it in the moment, but they are feeling bad. And that's why it's so critical for us to really understand what's going on for them and how to respond effectively. The next thing we need to think about too is, is um, generally speaking, when we have a traumatic reaction, after the trauma has happened, we're having a reaction because of something in the past, right? That's what a trauma reaction is. It's not about something here and now it's about something now, but it triggered something from the past. So how you see the world starts to change, right? And you're not loving life. You're not loving things the, the same way that you used to doing things you used to love with, uh, with no problem at all before is now all of a sudden frightening. You don't really trust people anymore you view yourself negatively, right? So we sort of have this negative blanket over the world and of everyday life. Anxiety though, it's usually more about anticipating something bad happening in the future, right? Worrying about being embarrassed in front of someone, worrying that we're, you know, going to have a terrible haircut that everybody's going to hate, worrying about being bitten by a dog if we go to a dog park or go outside, right? So along those lines, rumination is different too. So first, anxiety is more future focused. Trauma is more about a traumatic reaction about something in the past with rumination and trauma. The traumatic situations might replay over and over again, sort of like Groundhog Day, right? We're just reliving the event over and over and over. And we might even lose awareness of the here and now. It's like we are back in that exact same situation again, and our body is responding the exact same way it did before. So the traumatic emotions, they're going to pop up all of a sudden out of nowhere, 
or they might be predictable, you know, every night when you go to sleep, right? It's not always unpredictable, but they can be very unpredictable as well. And when they do show up, it's not just the memories or the stories that you heard. You're not just remembering things of the past. That's not what it is. You're actually feeling the traumatic reaction, feeling that fear or shame or anger all over again. It's the emotional feelings and the physical feelings that come with it. That's the traumatic reaction. So with anxiety, yes, you're having ruminating thoughts, but it's more about, again, what's going to happen. And these thoughts sort of just, it's like just ongoing stream of chatter, right? They're just coming one after another, this, and then this, and then this, and then this, right? Everyone's going to laugh at my haircut and I'm going to have no friends. And then I'm going to have to drop out of school because I just can't take it anymore. And then I'm not going to get a job. And then I'm going to be homeless and living on the street, right? Like it's just that one thing after another trauma is like a broken record. It just keeps skipping and playing the exact same thing over and over and over. Um, or when you put a song on replay over and over, right? I remember listening to Richard Marks when when I was a teenager, right? Just the heartbreak, right? That's that's trauma, Re- not Richard Marks, but the recurring nightmares. It's just like you're stuck on this repeat over and over and over. Anxiety though, it's more like you're listening to a radio station where one song or the worried thoughts are playing one after another, right? So it, it might get really loud. It might be barely audible. It might get crinkly. Um, what you feel is likely anxiety, There might be some frustration and shame, but it's not the same reaction as the traumatic reaction. So when we experience trauma, you know, what, what happens then when we have actually experienced trauma, if you've heard me in my earlier episodes, I talk a lot about how anxiety affects the brain and the body. Our brain can't tell the difference between being attacked by a cougar or someone smirking at us, right? It's just going to always react the exact same way, right? The brain and the body are going to send out those signals, right? To get the body into fight flight to protect the body. And that cortisol, it's just revving up our metabolism and our adrenaline um, so that we have the energy and alertness to face whatever challenge we have in front of us in the moment of danger, right? These neurochemicals are so helpful just to keep us protected from whatever's going on. So we're on hyper alert to any danger and we focus on the danger, whatever that danger might be people laughing at me or something's about to eat me. Right. But over time, these hormones can cause a lot of physical problems, you know, least of which are are the things that we probably see commonly among our kiddos, headaches, tiredness, right? They just seem so fatigued all the time, but they can become more far, more serious over time. Now, This fight flight reaction is so automatic, right? It's deep in the brainstem, which is our defense mechanism. And so it's quick from zero to a hundred. And the important point to remember about the brainstem is that it has a direct connection from the retina. So to the back of the eye. So anything in our field of sight, whether we're even aware of it or not is transmitted immediately back to the brainstem. And immediately we can react as fast as possible. So we don't get eaten. That's why, you know, like we might see something we're not even aware, but it just could, could trigger us. And that's why, you know, with trauma, it can be so hard because it's like, I don't even know what the trigger was. It was just something, but we don't have time to think about it, right? When that fight flight is, is triggered, we don't have time to think about it. Our brain, like I said, is not going to wait around to see what it is. If we start thinking about it, right. 
if our thinking brain had any say, we'd be dead because it would just take too long thinking about this and the circumstances and the time, you know, everything else. But considering that we don't really have things eating us anymore, it becomes a problem, right? When you've got this, especially trauma that's happened, that brain step stem is going to just be lit up all the time. And so everything is just, just hyper arousing them, right? So people are ready to fight or, or run away at any given moment, but just because they're so hyper aroused. So if someone's gone through trauma, that threat defense system that activates the fight flight response, it's always activated. It's always activated to detect danger and make sure I'm safe. Meaning they're always on high alert for danger. The adrenaline puts that amygdala into hyperdrive. It's just ringing alarms all the time, right? And we know that amygdala is important for emotional processing. So what ends up happening is that adrenaline lays down emotional memories, okay? So adrenaline lays down emotional memories from our body and all the emotions and the physical sensations that come up. But here's the thing. The cortisol shuts down our hippocampus. That amygdala is right next to our hippocampus, which stores all our memories. Cortisol shuts down our hippocampus. So it doesn't work properly, right? So our memory store is not working properly. And so we're laying down these emotional memories, but the memories aren't properly integrated and they become traumatic memories. And the more chronic the situation is, the more problematic this becomes. So that's already a problem. We already know that those memories are stored differently in the brain, right? And that's why we don't just recall something that's happened. So if you, you know, come across an intersection and you remember a car accident, oh yeah, this reminds me of the time. That's not trauma because you are able to consciously remember what has happened, but when the trauma is so great and our system realizes that we tried running away, but the predator is caught up, right? Or we tried to get out of the car accident, but now it's here and we used up all our strength to fight or to avoid the car accident, right? I remember once hitting black ice and going, swerving across the highway, finally, you know, going into the ditch, but you're, you're just trying as much as you can to fight the situation, right? Or to run away or whatever you can. And you realize now I can't, I'm out of options. No more fighting, no more running away. Then we go into freeze, right? And that's where our parasympathetic system is activated. And it doesn't have to be then this, then this, then this. It could happen so automatically, right? And oftentimes we'll see um, people, they just go, through those phases so quickly and they just freeze in the minute they just don't even know what to do. So now our body essentially acts dead. So especially if we are about to get eaten, our body just kind of goes dead. And we've seen that, you know, on the um history, natural history, like environmental documentaries with animals where they just act dead. Um I, I actually remember one, I think it was something like a cougar with an elk or a deer or something, and they acted dead, but now comes a hyena who's scaring the cougar away. And, and while the cougar and hyena are chasing each other and fighting, you know, the deer will get up and run away. So it's not us consciously trying to act dead. Our body, I mean, maybe if we are, if we are literally trying to act dead, we're still consciously aware we're not in freeze mode yet. But in freeze mode, our body literally goes into freeze. We don't have any say over it. Everything starts to shut down and we couldn't even move if we wanted, if we wanted to, even if we tried. Our muscles are all sort of loosey-goosey, right? And everything from the fight flight that was activated, the elevated heart rate, the, the increased breathing, our metabolism, it all drops and it might even shut down. 
So this happens because if you're actually going to be eaten by something, you don't want to be aware of what's happening. You don't want to feel any pain. So that's really important. If you're about to be eaten, you don't want any awareness. So everything shuts down, even our awareness. So we're completely unaware of our surroundings. And this is dissociation. And when people dissociate or they're completely unaware of what's happening, either internally or externally, they can't process things. And it creates this disconnect between the past and the present. So when we're aware in freeze and and fight and flight, we're still aware. We still have our hippocampus working. We're able to integrate those memories and process memories. When we dissociate, there is no connection between those. And so we often think of dissociation as a bad thing in and of itself, but it's not a bad thing. I would want to dissociate if I'm about to get eaten, right? So we all have the potential to dissociate, though some are certainly more prone to that than others. Now, you know, especially if we've got people with um, disorganized attachment, for example, they are at greater risk of dissociation. But all of us do tend to dissociate some of the time. You know, sometimes we're trying to distract ourselves as a way to avoid and, 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 and get away from any discomfort that comes up, which causes us problems, right? Just being an autopilot when we're not here in the present moment, right? But what I'm talking about is someone does dissociate during a traumatic event, that's when they might develop post-traumatic stress because the hippocampus isn't processing things because of all the cortisol, right? And our attention is being divided as well. So what ends up happening is we have this fragmented memory. It's not integrated in a meaningful way. So if you're remembering a really bad car accident, you're remembering I was driving and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. With trauma, it's so fragmented. There isn't a sequence of events, right? When that integration isn't happening, we we don't have the same processes. Things aren't laid down the same way. And the nervous system is really important to help us manage life's challenges, but it also is important to help us recover from the challenge. And so the nervous system in a traumatic event, it gets unbalanced, which happens when we can't integrate our experiences. We can't cope. We can't, we can't bounce back from what's happening. And so we see a lot of rigidity and that's why a lot of our anxious kiddos well, all of our anxious kiddos really want control. They want predictability. That's what anxiety wants, but definitely within traumatic situations, we see this huge emotional dysregulation. We see the inattention and hyperactivity. We see disrupted social interactions. Trauma affects every part of the brain and its development, right? How the brain is developing and growing is affected, especially when the trauma is not treated. So people can be completely debilitated by any sort of stress and they're they're really sensitive to any physical sensations. We might not even notice our tummy, right? Or, you know, other day-to-day things that other people should be aware of, right? That I'm really hungry or that I need to go to the bathroom. But, but those with traumatic reactions are, going to believe that they're going to die. Even just those little things, they don't understand them. They don't have the same context to make sense of them. And that's why we see a lot of self-harming behaviors. Those kiddos don't have the context. They don't have the capacity to understand all of the big emotions, what's happening in my body. So it's easier to, to cut because I understand that pain. I understand what's going on in my body then right? And so it's just to help with that. Now, 
there's lots of different brain networks involved. Um, and I've talked about the different brain networks involved in anxiety. Um, but I do want to readdress the key networks again. And, and, you know, that's important because trauma really affects these networks. So one is the default mode, right? And that's something that I've talked about, even with my ADHD kiddos, that's, that's where our brain wants to go. It's the mind wandering, right? That's where we process our thoughts, process our feelings, all of our memories, all of that gets impaired when we've had a traumatic event and a traumatic reaction, right? So our traumatized clients have a really hard time processing everything. And, and with anxiety, this is where we get sucked into rumination, right? And then we tend to beat ourselves up or blaming ourselves for everything that we think, you know, that we're defected, we're a failure, I should have done this or whatever it is. Second is the salience network. That's our on task sort of network, right? That's what helps us figure out what's important. What do I need to respond to in the environment? With trauma, everything in the environment feels threatening. They can't figure out what's important. Everything is a potential threat. And so they become so overwhelmed because they can't figure out what's important. Our brain has these shortcuts, right? And if we can't use those contextual shortcuts to figure out what's going on, it's just going to go into overwhelm. And that's why a lot of times we see the inattentiveness, right? Because they're hyper alert on everything going around them. It's hard to focus on anything. Um, and then of course, there's the executive network, right? That that's the last to develop right? That's part of the brain is supposed to help calm our emotional brain to think rationally, to problem solve, make good decisions, pay attention to what's important, organizing, time management, all of those kinds of things. All of that goes out the window with anxiety and for sure with trauma. So that's why so many of them look like they've got ADHD because it's those executive functioning deficits because they can't pay attention and problem solve, right? And so that's a problem. And then with anxiety, when there's the trauma and they freeze, they zone out and even dissociate. So putting this all together, that prefrontal cortex, like with anxiety, gets hijacked. So it's not working. The Wi-Fi is offline. It just shuts down. Same with our logical, verbal, um, conscious left brain. It shuts down, right? So our, our calming down, sensory processing, problem solving, thinking, awareness, rational parts of our brain are all shut down. And so trying to talk our way to calmness or trying to talk to someone who's in, you know, in that dissociative freeze state is not going to be helpful. Meanwhile, the emotional, nonverbal, unconscious right brain or our automatic survival back brain is way more active to protect us. And the communication between the brain from the left to the right is, is kind of wonky. So that survival mode easily takes over, right? Just because the Wi-Fi is off, great, I'm going to take over. And now we're going to become hyper alert to any danger and believe I can't handle it, whatever it is. It's the end of the world. And because the Wi-Fi is shut off to the part of the brain that's supposed to help us cope with the situation and calm ourselves and to realize, okay, wait a second, it's not really the whole end of the world. This situation might suck, right? But that part of the brain is shut down. And so when we're put into any unfamiliar, scary situations, our sensory systems get so overwhelmed and we can't integrate all of that information. And so our emotional response is way out of whack because we get so overwhelmed. So with trauma, that nervous system, the emotional brain, the thinking brain, they're not integrating properly. Our left and right hemispheres of the brain are not integrating properly. So a lot of our work is promoting 
integration. That's what we're going to be getting into. The cognitive therapy, just talking about it is not helpful on its own, if at all, right? It's an adjunct to the work that I usually do way later on if I need to. Oftentimes, I don't even need to. It's usually a secondary learning point rather than an active process. And so doing things that we would often recommend for anxiety, like um, doing yoga, mindfulness, body scans, that can create a panic attack because the body and mind and brain, all the different parts of the brain, it's not integrated. And so when we do those things, just breathe. We have to be really careful because we don't know what's going to cause even just smiling to them can create a panic attack, right? So we have to be so careful with what we're doing with clients. And that's why we have to be trauma-informed if we're going to be working effectively, because the things that we would normally do, even just that warm smile and creating that warm space can be really problematic with our clients. So I think that's a lot to take in. Okay. Just to think about the, what's happening in the brain. It's not being integrated properly. The memories aren't being formed properly. There's no context for them to be able to figure out what's going on. And it's like, it's replaying over and over and over again. I love the analogy. Actually, I was just doing a presentation last week and I love the analogy of like a filing cabinet, right? Of the past, the present, and the future. So the past should be full of files. Those are all of our memories, right? Of all of our past things. The present should only have one file at any given point. It should only have one file with exactly what's happening right now. The future should have no files at all, but with the trauma, they're all loaded, right? The past, the present, the future, it just becomes so blurry. So like I said, I'll, I'll leave it there for now. Think about that. I will be talking about what we need to do next time. So go out, help those kiddos be bold and courageous, and I will see you next week.